if there's no one there to answer the questions or at least attempt to answer the questions, then they're going to walk away with the assumptions they have and think of them as truth. And I can't have that because they are not true. And you need people to just say, hey, no, that's not right. And let me show you why it's not right. Welcome to The Remarkable Leap. My name is Juliet, and I'm here to guide you on your journey towards becoming a brighter version of yourself. Every week, you'll gain inspiration and wisdom from our guests on how to embrace your fears and take your own leap of faith in your personal life or in your career. We each only get one life to live. Make it remarkable. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Remarkable Leap. It's your host, Juliet. Today on the podcast, we have Freeni Raza, a radio host and a podcaster who uses her platforms to speak openly about her experiences as a Muslim woman and other taboo topics. In this episode, we talk about why she felt it was important to step up and answer questions about her Muslim faith by a group of Christians in the Deep South and how she was able to overcome her fears in order to bridge communities. She also provides her insights on responding to xenophobic rhetoric during this global coronavirus pandemic. Hey, Freeney, thanks for being on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Juliet. How are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me, especially during all of this coronavirus chaos. Um, But really excited to chat with you today. For those who are not familiar with your work, would you mind just sharing a little bit about what you're currently up to? Okay, so what I do is, uh, number one, I'm actually... Uh, radio host here in Dallas. I have my own radio show. It's on a local uh, FM station here, but we do also have our app, which is available everywhere. So I start out doing the radio first, which for someone my, like me, if anyone who's known me from my childhood, and there's a lot of people who know me, are just like, you were the quiet, shy one. How did you become this thing? And I was, and that's the a part of the story, but what I am is a radio show host, and then I want to actually have my own voice because I felt like a niche was missing, talking about Muslims and our life and how we're just regular people. And you see a lot of, you know, famous people who are Muslims who are now, you know, have the field and are doing great things, but they're famous. They have to, you know, work hard to get up there. I'm not looking for fame. I'm just like, hey, you know, there's a lot of questions people have about Muslims. If I can answer them in any way, I would be happy to. And if I don't have the answers... I'll find the answers. And so I reached out to people and asked them that what are some common questions you have about Muslims? What confuses you about us? Whatever it is, you know, you can ask the tough questions. You can ask Sharia law and like the four wives and all that stuff. And I'll find the right answer for you. And I started doing that with um, interfaith dialogues here in Dallas, where we have interfaith groups called the Daughters of Abraham, which is basically Jewish, Christian, and Muslim women who meet once a month. And we talk about issues that are common and different in each faith. And with that, I found that, hey, there's a lot of questions out there and not many people willing to answer. So the podcast that came about from that, my podcast, Musings of Modern Muslims, was kind of a way to make people feel that, hey, there are a lot of us out here. People know a lot of Muslims, but they don't, they don't even know that they are Muslims. And it's like, hey, well, these are some common things. And these stereotypes that you might see about us, they're not always true. So just made that, it was just like a voice. It's meant to be like a, a pin board or a dialogue place nothing I'm not here to change the world hopefully if it changes some minds I think I've succeeded yeah that's absolutely beautiful and I love the openness that you have in allowing other people to come to you with their questions and really being able to have that dialogue with other people and 
the reason I wanted to bring you on this podcast is really to dive more deeply into how you took a leap of faith in your life to start talking more openly about being Muslim and the experiences that you have as a Muslim woman in America and specifically in Texas. So I'd love to hear more about that journey from really starting to speak out about it and getting comfortable doing so. Sure. This journey, I think, started right around 9-11. And I say that because I was actually in Boston. That's my hometown. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. Well, a suburb of Boston, Massachusetts. But that's the only reference point most of us Bostonians have is I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. And that is home. So when all that went down, literally, back then, it was a turning point. Things changed. You know, people start thinking differently of Muslims almost immediately. Yeah, there's a lot of negativity, some of it true, some of it not true, but just the way it was passed around, it didn't help the way Muslims were treated and have continued to be treated by not just people, but the media and the movies and all everything all in one has ended up giving us this image of these negative people that we've tried to, uh, you know, kind of counter since then, which we're gone, you know, what is it like? 20 years at this point and, and it's just not ending that that stereotype that trope that we're somehow always these terrorists number one and it's like well we're not that we're so many other things and we you know we're all part of the same fabric so that started that that seed was planted then and over the years when I noticed a lot of these you know stereotypes and tropes and things being passed around I was like, well, should I say something? And my natural instinct at that time, because I really was the shy person, was, no, don't say anything. It's not my place. Or, you know, what am I going to say? Or someone might get bothered by it. So I wouldn't say anything. And then when I moved to Texas, which was only five and a half years ago, so it's more recent being here, in the interim, we had moved to Wisconsin, which was, you know, very, very, you know, everyone was kind of okay over there. Not Never felt any different or, you know, separate from anyone but once you moved to Texas you really felt a difference and it's not a bad thing it's a different thing because in Texas you will be known by which uh, religion and specifically even the Christian faith by which church you're affiliated to it's a very common question whenever anyone moves here and they're like oh so where are you from and which church do you go to it's like the second nature question so whenever when I moved here this is the first time people were asking me oh so that's awesome you moved here uh, which mosque do you go to and I was like, wow, this this uh, divide within the community, it's pretty common. And I was like, you know what? There's a lot of misconceptions here in the South. Unfortunately, there's uh, way too many. And not just about Muslims, but about Jewish, about, uh, you know, any different um, factions of Christians or any different types of people. There are a lot of opinions. So when I learned of the Daughters of Abraham, which again, I said, is this um, group that meets that this group actually came out about after 9-11, where Jewish, Muslim and Christian women sat together and said, hey, let's uh, talk about these things. So this uh, initiative has been going for many years. And then when I um, started going to the meetings, I got a lot of questions. And there were other Muslim, Muslim women who would go, but no one who really went almost religiously every month. And so I went for a good three years every month, every meeting. And I had people reach out. They were like, we have so many questions. And I was like, okay, I'll find the answers. I might not have them, but I'll find the answer. But just being able to go to those meetings, sometimes knowing that these people have misconceptions about my religion and may never change them, 
but they still want to talk. And I've even been cornered, Juliet. I've been cornered into questions like, well, you have this and your prophet did this and your prophet did that. And I was like, well, okay, okay, 1400 years ago, let's talk about now. And just getting out there was harder and harder each time. But then it got easier once I was like, you know what? I don't have the answers. I'll find you the answers. But if I'm available to you, there's more of a chance that you might actually see me and ask a question versus assuming some sort of misconception. I think that's very brave what you did. And in your podcast, Musings of Modern Muslims, you dive deeper into one specific story of that first time you were asked to speak in a church and be asked all these questions and be confronted with these people that have different ideologies that might be misunderstanding. So if people want to go and listen to that, I definitely recommend it. But could you just summarize for people really quickly, I guess, what that was like? Because that was really sort of your first taste of what it would be like to be able to approach these questions and to be able to hear what other people want to know. That experience was scary. And I put that in my podcast too, because when you, again, this is brand new. We'd only been in Texas about six, seven months at that point, And we were kind of hesitant because we knew there's a lot of uh, gun culture here. It's very common here for people to have guns in their homes. They have uh, open carry here. So people have open carry licenses. And you see that all the time. And again, coming from the north where this was not common, that was already a fear instiller in itself. So going to that church was the most scariest thing I've ever done in my life because I had my kids with me. I had my two uh, older ones. My younger one was not born at that time. And I had them with me because my husband was working. And just stepping in and seeing that people had guns in the church with them, it was scary. It was honestly the most scariest thing. And I was like, and you have to get over it that, you know, not people are not out to just, you know, shoot you for the fun of it. There are crazies out there, but in general, you hope that someone openly caring is not thinking that but just the questions in that session they were tough questions they were uh, a lot of misconceptions that people had seen on certain news networks that they had just assumed to be true and it was hard because being one person against a group of and uh, this church was made up of mostly elderly people so they had these misconceptions like drilled into them they were like though this is truth and that was a very just hard experience because the questions were hard. Some of them I could not answer on the point. And I was like, I will get those answers to you. Most of them were just misconceptions that I had to just be, say, hey, these are not true. And what have you been told is not right. Uh, but yeah, that was why that situation was just super hard because <laughs> there was guns right there in the room. Yeah, that's very scary to actually be threatened or, you know, have your life potentially be threatened by taking this step outwards in something where you are trying to bridge the community you're not trying to cause trouble you're trying to bridge the community and yet you still have these fears so was there something that you were able to tell yourself or something that really helped you to push forward and actually allow yourself to step into that room with your sons to face these people like what is it that motivated you to do that as opposed to you know to stay in the comfort of your home and not fear your own life sure um and that's a great question because it became the point that if I don't do this, who else will? And I mean that seriously because in our group, in the Daughters of Abraham, they sent out an email saying that would anyone like to go to this church? It's pretty up north. It was a good 45, 50 minute drive north from where we were. And they were like, would you? Would anyone like to go? Any of their Muslim sisters because they requested a Jewish sister and a Muslim sister to come 
no one responded. So then I said, fine. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll go. Assuming that my husband was probably home and then I could leave the kids. But once I learned that, oh no, he's working. Okay. So I don't want to back out from this. And the reason I went, the only reason, Juliet, that stuck with me then and still sticks with me now is if there's no one there to answer the questions or at least attempt to answer the questions, then they're going to walk away with the assumptions they have and think of them as truth. And I can't have that because they are not true. They are all misconceptions that have been passed along and around constantly. And you need people to just say, hey, no, that's not right. And let me show you why it's not right and prove to them that, hey, there are Muslims who are not being oppressed and they are working fine. And there's women who are doing amazing things and there's men doing amazing things. And there's, you know, equal opportunity for Muslim men and women in the religion is just never shown. So that's always been my uh, driving force that if I don't go, no one else will. Mm, yeah, I think that's important to to think about and to stand up for yourself and to speak up for other people as well. And when you were in that room or in other rooms, you know, when people have these misconceptions about you, I'm sure, I mean, I've experienced this myself, it can definitely be very frustrating. You feel like you don't have a voice. You feel like maybe they don't want to listen. How were you able to communicate with them in a way that was very open? Like even talking to you now, you clearly come from such a place of compassion and there's not like that judgment that I think a lot of people would have of that idea of like, well, you should just do your research. Like, why are you expecting me to tell you how it is? Did you battle with any of that? And how were you able to, you know, be so open and allow them to ask their questions without being defensive? Well, number one rule I had was ask your questions. Go ahead, ask anything you want. I promise not to be offended. And even if it seems like an offensive question, um, it's okay. Just ask it. And I would just toss a question. I was like, I'm sure you're all wondering about Sharia law and how we're going to bring that to the U.S. And that would usually get some like nervous giggles. And that's one of a, a tough question. And people do ask that one a lot. So I was like, you know, if I toss one, a tough question out there myself, I'm sure that'll make people feel like, okay, she's okay with it. She's, she's okay to answer these questions. And then I, I would start the beginning saying, hey, I'm not a religious authority. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a practitioner. I'm just a regular Muslim. But if I'm the only one you got, ask away. And you know what? If you ask an offensive question and I'm not offended by it, I can probably filter that question and ask the, you know, the imam or the priest and our molanas and get your answer without offending anyone else. So just ask away. Think of me as the middleman to get your answers. And most questions, because of my own study and research, um, I do know the answers. And I don't like you. how you used to say, you know, just do your own research. Well, you know, if I want to study the Jewish faith right now, I have no idea where to start. I can just Google it and probably not get a true source. I'd rather sit with a Jewish sister and be like, hey, so why do you guys do this? What is, is this, uh, you know, holiday more important than that one? Why is this one this? Why do you do this? I'd rather have that conversation with someone I know who's practicing that faith and get their version of it instead of just something that the Internet has, because we never know where that's coming from anymore. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think a lot of younger millennials, and I guess I'm just kind of like including my own experience in this, but it is hard not to get frustrated. And I think a lot of it comes from like, 
when 9-11 happened, I was five years old. So this, Uh, everything, yeah, everything that's happened, I feel like we grew up with all of these like racial tensions and it was very prevalent, but yet at the same time, we weren't like learning about it in school and we had to take it upon ourselves to learn it for ourselves. And so I think that's the part that's like, okay, well, we had to learn it. Why don't you? And so I think maybe like you're coming from a different perspective. Probably. And you know what? I, I, I like that point because I feel like, and this is my, nothing against millennials at all, because I'm I'm considered an old age millennial because I was like, okay, I'm the, the early millennial or whatever, the millennials <laughs> or whatever they call us now. I think because of a lot of people being aware of how each of us is different, I think it's also created some divisions. Whereas you're not supposed to question anyone's choices because like, oh, let them be them. You be you. I be me. Let's not anyone asking. You're allowed to be you. I'm allowed to be me. Let's no one encroach on each other. But I feel like that's kind of ended up making questions harder to ask because people don't want to offend anyone, even by mistake or on purpose. They're like, oh, I didn't know if that was a question I couldn't ask you. And it's getting a little bit more confusing lately with, with people being so politically correct. But it's a good thing and a bad thing. But it's that's a topic for another day. I think it's hard, especially nowadays with cancel culture. And I think, you know, people are just so defensive because they don't know how to talk about stuff. So I think it's amazing that you're sort of setting this example that it's okay to have these tough conversations. It's okay to say something offensive once in a while. And you just kind of, I guess, have to assume that people have the best intentions or they have misinformation and they're not doing things maliciously. So I think just sort of like taking on that viewpoint can be really helpful for people. Um, So that's really amazing that, you know, you went to that church and answered those questions. So after that, did you continue to go to these churches and answer questions? Or how did your sort of advocacy or openness about your experience as a Muslim woman really transform from that? Well, um, whenever they have a a point or an event that they want to invite someone to, I do volunteer. Um, I get a lot of questions. Actually, two women from that church did end up joining our um, Daughters of Abraham group. So that was a small success. And they they clearly came to the meeting and said, we're here because of you, because you came to us. So we come to you. And I was like, awesome. That's that's what we want. I just try to get out there and just put things out there. Like an example of this, Juliet, is a lot of moms. Let's say you're expected to give birth and then everyone has these beautiful set up portraits. Their their hair is done. Their makeup's perfect. They're holding this beautiful baby with a matching outfit. And this is a very expected thing in just general culture, not just the Muslim culture. So I was getting very annoyed with this because a, a bunch of me and a group of my friends um, in our community had children, you know, pretty close to each other. And when I had my third one, I was struggling. So I was feeling ugly. I was tired all the time and I had two other kids and so I put a picture of myself which you can still see in my Instagram it's me holding the three kids with messy hair looking like a hot mess and I'm like this is normal this is how we're supposed to be it's fine we're not going to be perfect all the time and that picture went semi-viral because people were like that's what needed to be said instead of the same we have to look perfect at all times and look good and look balanced and you because a lot of these Instagram uh, influencers and moms they make it seem so perfect that their kids are perfect, they're perfect, their homes are perfect, they're cooking perfect, and they're practicing their religion perfectly. And I'm like, well, there's no such thing as perfect. It doesn't exist. That's true. I think being able to normalize the taboo or stuff that people don't talk about simply by talking about it is something that really helps to change culture, helps to change conversations. So that's really incredible 
that you did that. In terms of when you were going out and doing these talks, did you have support, I guess, maybe like from like your husband and from friends and family? Were they scared for you? Did anyone encourage you not to do it or try to get you to not go into these things? Or what was sort of their reaction to all of this? Because I know a lot of people, they have fears like for their kids or for their friends. Like if you speak up, something might happen to you. We'd rather you not do this? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I'm glad you asked it because my immediate family, like my parents, they're more of, you know, the old age. They, They were just like, uh, don't don't do this. Why are you make Why are you making waves? Just be happy in your skin. You know, you have a good husband. You have kids. Focus on that. And it was actually my husband who was actually the bigger support. For example, I when I when I went to this church, he was he was okay with it. He was like, okay, just be careful. He was like, kind of okay because he knew that the organization I was going with, plus uh, the people who came to them, he's like, they're mostly peace loving people, so it should be okay. When I told him what it was, and he's like, you know, how if you handle it well, that's good. Um, another great example of his support is when, uh, the Muslim ban happened the first time, right in 2016, was it the Muslim Mm -hmm. ban when that happened, I was, uh, three months pregnant, three or four months pregnant with my youngest. And I heard that this ban is going into effect and that DFW, which is our big airport here is going to be shutting down, um, almost immediately. And I told him, I was like, I need to be there. And he's like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, I need to be there. And he's like, okay, go, but be safe. And I was like, you sure? He's like, yeah, be just be safe. And I was like, okay. Left my two kids with him. He stayed home, went to the airport. Um, I was, I think, the fourth or fifth person there while this thing was happening. And uh, I stayed there until, and I got there around, I want to say it was like 6 p.m. I didn't come home until 1 a.m. And all I kept with me was my phone and a charger. And I was like, I'll keep charging my phone so I'll be reachable at all times. And he just wanted me to text him like every so often, like, hey, everything's fine, all okay. But it gave me hope that, you know, if not to say that, you know, you need someone to, you know, support you and say it's okay to do things, but also that you need someone who has your back and you feel like, hey, I can fall back on this guy. And even if anyone questions me like, oh, how does your husband feel about this? I'm like, he's my biggest support. He feels great. And he's, he's the one who actually pushed me into podcasting. He's the one who was like, why are you sitting on the radio? Do this, do that podcast, make YouTube videos, go live, do all this stuff. He's the one who pushes me more than um, anyone has ever pushed me, even my mom. Wow. I, I mean, I think, and like, to be fair, like that's not to take away any credit from you, but just to speak to the power of having support from other people feeling like you're not alone in the situation. So I think that's really interesting to hear about. And I guess I ask about like maybe like parents or other people that were hesitant because I know like so many people don't want to do things because they don't want to cause conflict within their family, but they really believe in something and they're they're choosing to not say anything because, you know, they don't want to hurt the family dynamics or anything like that. So I'm curious if you had any like experience with that or any advice for people that might be struggling with what they want to do versus what other people are telling them what they should or shouldn't do sure um noisemakers cannot make everyone happy that's my basic rule on this you you will offend someone even directly or indirectly and sometimes people may not understand why you're doing what you're doing but if you know in your heart of hearts it's for the betterment of people and something that's necessary then you just have to stay the course. You might have no support on it, but if you stay the course and you make change happen, even if it's a small change and that was your goal, 
then you have succeeded in ways that many people who want to do things but just don't have failed. So I just say like if you have a goal in mind, if something is your basic goal, like even you, Juliet, reaching out to me after saying that I listened to your podcast and I, you know, like absorbed all of it in one go. I'm like, okay, well, I'm done. I've I've completed my mission. Someone who's not Muslim who probably would not have, you know, sought out uh, this kind of podcast and, you know, just, you know, took it all in. That's I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> I, I don't have to have a single other listener. And I, I feel like I've succeeded. So that's if you have these small goals and set them up and meet them, you'll be fine. If if people feel like they, they're going to make massive change happen, it doesn't happen. <laughs> I'm learning that the hard way in many ways in my life as well. Like, okay, sometimes massive change just won't happen. Slow and steady might be better. And sometimes the total opposite. Sometimes, uh, you know, you make waves, you make noise, you shake everything up. You make a mark and you just walk out like, okay, I made change by. Yeah, I think that's important to remember. And I myself am definitely learning that too, that everything just requires patience and you can't change the world all at once. You can't control what, you know, effects you have on other people. So I think that's a very healthy and like productive mindset to have because obviously with that mindset, you were able to go to these churches. You were able to have really fruitful hard conversations and you were able to start your podcast and be able to share your stories as well as other people's stories. So how did that really come about in terms of starting the podcast? I know you said, um, you know, you do your radio hosting and then this sort of evolved. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Well, uh, basically, again, like I said earlier, uh, the radio show is um, basically um, it's a South Asian channel. So South Asian means India, Pakistan, uh, Bangladesh, South Asian languages. And uh, it's mostly in different languages, mostly music station. But then I approached the owner saying that I would like to do a half an hour just talk show. Nothing, nothing with um, music, nothing to do with that. I have nothing against music, but but just something to kind of change the mold a bit that it would be about um, just social issues. And she was like, yeah, sure. So half an hour. So that's what I started doing was Mondays. Um, and I still do that Mondays from one to one thirty central time. I go on the air and I just talk about social issues. Like this past uh, Monday, I talked about this panic pandemonium that people are going crazy because of this coronavirus and, you know, toilet paper sold out and things that just don't make sense are happening and kind of be the, this voice of realness that, Hey guys, can we calm down a bit? Let's listen to the CDC and WHO and doctors and medical professionals instead of listening to the internet. So I, tr- I start doing this and, and it's called, the show's called Real Talk with Fraheen Mondays. So it's just, you know, kind of hard hitting. And I always blame myself in the show. And I feel that if you blame yourself, you bring yourself down to the same level because I don't want to sound like the preacher and just lord over people. And I say that, oh, you know, I got into the panic too. I started thinking, should I run out and get like six bags of rice and buy this and buy that? And that to like calm myself down. Like, wait a minute, relax. I don't need the mask. I'm not in that field. I don't need this. Okay, let's, let's, basic hand washing is more than enough, guys. And whenever I've, I've noticed this in my shows, I'll talk about anything, Juliet. I will talk about absolutely anything. And I think that makes people think, or feel that oh she's approachable she will talk about anything um last july before i started the podcast much before um i suffered a miscarriage and instead of just dealing with my grief on my own i took it on the radio 
I was like, guys, I'm grieving. I'm not a happy person. But instead of just sitting in my house or in my closet and just crying out, I thought maybe I would share with you how this grief feels. And that got a lot of people like really tuned in like, wow, she's talking about stuff that in general people don't want to talk about. I will talk about and I really don't care anymore what anyone thinks. And I think that makes my mom very nervous. But I'm like, eh, it is what it is, mom. Done with it. <laughs> you definitely tough tackle very tough subjects on your radio show and of course on your podcast I'm curious like I know you mentioned a little bit about how you got your radio show but I think a lot of people nowadays think like oh it's so hard for you know minorities or people of diverse backgrounds to be able to have a say in media or to be able to have their voice heard so was that how was that experience for you was it like pretty easy to be able to pitch them and they're like yeah go ahead and like letting you have free reign over this period of time where you're on air? Well, the funny thing is, um, this radio station I'm currently with is, I've only been here a year. Before that, I was at a different one, which is more of an internet radio, which is kind, I, I think, honest to goodness, radio is great, but it is a semi-dying form of, I think, listening. Because now people do have choices like podcasts or um, Spotify or specific things they want to hear and not just you know, kind of have something playing in the background for no reason. Um, when I got into the radio the first time uh, with a different station, that was almost four years ago. Uh, the owner of the station approached me and she was like, uh, you speak, I've heard you speak here and there just to, you know, in, in, in social gatherings, nothing, not, not like speeches, but just she's like, I've heard you talk and you talk really well. Would you like to come and have a radio show here for two hours long? And I was like, two hours and they're like yep two hours so I would do two hour long shows Juliet and they were tough because they were once a week but writing those shows out researching them because I didn't want to just you know make stuff up on the air I would research and write it out and there were topics that were off limits because they were like let's not you know shake things up too much um and even in this new radio station, the same rules apply because uh, the FCC has their own rules and regulations for FM and AM stations, which are different for um, satellite radios. That's why satellite radios end up having more uh, language and subject matter and things that are being discussed that won't be discussed on FM and AM. So because of that limitation on these two um, services, there are things I'm not allowed to talk about on the air on the radio because it could offend someone and they would call the FCC or call my boss and get me into a whole ton of trouble. So that that's what got me thinking that, Hey, I think maybe I should branch out and speak about what I want to speak about somewhere else. And that's when my husband was like, cause he listens to a lot of podcasts and he's like, you need to go do podcasting. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> like I had no idea. I was like, I knew about them, but I was like, how, how do you do all this? And he was like, no, you need to find this out. And Get on the podcast scene because that's where you can say whatever you want to say. Otherwise, uh, on the radio, you can't. And that's when I was like, okay, let me start researching how to start a podcast. What do I need? What do I need to get? It took me a good two years before I launched it because I was so nervous. Like, will anyone listen? Is it important? Is it worth it? So it took a good two years before this thing even came about. Mm, well, I'm glad that you kept at it and your podcast is out there for people to be able to 
gain knowledge and wisdom from you. And I think the point about how you got your radio show really speaks to how sometimes if you just put yourself out there in the world, then people will come to you and people will have these opportunities for you that you didn't even know existed if you hadn't taken that step forward. Um, So I guess just the last question before I do like my rapid fire questions, you touched a little before on coronavirus, you were able to talk about it in a way where you brought yourself down to the level of other people. And you kind of humbled yourself and saying that, you know, I had these same thoughts, but like, this is how I work through it. And I guess I'm just curious as to how you would maybe advise other people to also talk about this situation, especially because I know like, a lot of East Asians and a lot of Chinese people specifically are now dealing with the racism that a lot of other communities have been dealing with for many, many decades. And they're, I feel like a lot of people are just posting and just being really upset about it and saying people are racist and ignorant, um, which is true. But I think like to your point, that doesn't necessarily do much in terms of moving the needle or changing people's perspectives. So how would you suggest people have these open, honest conversations that kind of brings it people into the conversation rather than sort of shutting them out? Well, with coronavirus, the interesting thing is just because it started in a specific region doesn't mean that it was created there, which I know there's a lot of like, you know, people saying all this weird stuff that's bio warfare was created there. It was meant to be on purpose. And it's like, well, really, like, like, really, like, are you like, okay, take a step back and think about you can't there have been viruses that have come and gone throughout all of history. I mean, you can go back to the Black Plague and all these plagues and uh, Spanish flu that came years ago. It's just that viruses learn to modify themselves to the times. That's why we have to get a flu vaccine every year because it keeps modifying and there's a new strain every year and every year people get sick and every year people die of the flu as well. It's unfortunate, but it just happens. And I think people need to really start listening to the right professionals and not just the news media even it doesn't matter which news media i feel like coronavirus has taken over every single news station for like the past two months and it it honestly gets so overwhelming that you feel like oh my god my head will explode there's things being passed around about how to cure coronavirus magically and how to get rid of it and if you drink only boiling hot water and whatnot and I'm like, you know, find the right source. Maybe if you don't, if you don't have a doctor in the family, talk to your own PCP or talk to a specific person who is in the front lines of this and get the right information. And don't just blame people for, don't blame a whole group of people for this virus. Sure, it originated there, but it, it's killed more people in that, in China than it has anywhere else so far. So, I mean, it does, it just doesn't make sense to blame every single person from East Asia or China specifically, that's your fault. That's just not fair on people because we wouldn't want to be blamed for many diseases that have originated here. And that just makes no sense to me. But again, I'm a little different in my thought process. Uh, I know like people have started in even my community. They're like, oh, it's from the Chinese. I'm like, well, you can't say that's not right. It's, it's a very wrong thing to say. Cause, and But the, the thing too and that Juliet because I've gone through 9-11 and being blamed for something that you know I specifically didn't do it was like I kind of and people who grew up around me or in this area or grew up in America feel that way too it's a lot of the people who come in much later and they've only seen the later part of the life here that they are more easy to blame they, they're ready to jump the gun and say yeah it's your fault it's your fault it's your fault so I think people just need to have conversations and find resources that make actual sense science makes sense doctors make sense 
nurses make sense, the EMT makes sense. Talk to them about these things, especially this coronavirus. And don't just blame a whole group of people and say, yeah, it's, it's their fault for bringing it. Because you know what whose fault it is now? The people who are not doing social distancing and who are actually mm-hmm. continuing to live a regular life. It's your fault now. Can you just stay home? <laughs> I mean, no right. one wants to stay home this long. Seriously, I 100% agree. No one wants to stay home this long. And schools don't close just for the fun of it. And major businesses are not shutting down. And small businesses don't want to suffer. So assuming this is just a new extended vacation is the most wrong outlook. Just stay home so it can be contained as much as possible. So we're all to blame right now if anyone is stepping out. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. And I think sort of, you know, the through line of what you were saying is sort of being able to present people with facts and to have open conversations rather than just sort of like going based off assumptions Um, And I think to your point about like social distancing and maybe for me to apply, you know, the lesson that you were talking about earlier, I feel like I myself, like when I'm speaking out about it, I get very angry and I'm like, why aren't people just staying home? But maybe like approaching it from a way of being like, you know, like two weeks ago, I also didn't think it was that serious. Like I was out and about doing these things. But when I realized like, you know what, like I could be spreading this virus unknowingly. And once I got more information then I really understood that, like, you know, I need to do my part in the community. And I think like that probably has a greater effect on people than me just being like, why are you being so selfish? And why are you not just staying home? So yeah, um, yeah, I really appreciate all of your tips and for you sharing your story. And just to wrap up this podcast, I'd love to dive into just a couple of rapid fire questions. Sure. (laughs) Awesome. So the first one is what is one piece of advice you would give your younger self before you had taken the leap of faith in terms of going to that church and answering those questions about being Muslim? I wish I could have spoken out sooner, Mm. much sooner, many years ago. I I, honestly, because I was in college during 9-11. So I was already at the age where I could have I was very, I could have been very vocal starting then. And I should have taken that leap right then and there at the age of uh, 19, 20. And just been like, look, this is the difference. (laughs) We're different. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, the things that you can learn in retrospect and things that you're so afraid of that you're like, oh, wow, I guess I could have done that sooner. I think that's a lesson for a lot of people in a lot of regards. And the second question is, what's one thing that went massively wrong when you took your leap of faith and speaking out? And how did you recover from it? What went massively wrong is a lot of people in my own community were like, well, who gave you the authority to speak out on our behalf? And I would be like, well, you didn't want to, so I did. But but who gave you that right? And I was like, no one. I just took it. And (laughs) recovering from that, I think I'm still recovering from that because people still are like, oh, here's the noisy one. Here she comes again, always causing issues. And I was like, well, someone has to do it. Hmm. Yeah, and I that reminds me of once I saw um, Hassan Minaj um, doing stand-up and he took questions at the end and, you know, someone was saying like, oh, can you speak more about this community and this specific community? He's like, look, I can only speak to my experiences and maybe a little bit more with research, but like now I invite you to like take up space too and to be able to speak to your own experiences because we're all just our individual selves with our individual lives. So I think like you said, like you were taking up space when people weren't willing to do that and so now it's an opportunity for them to realize like they want their voices to be heard as well yeah I mean everyone has an opportunity to speak you can all speak up anytime and you should and then the last question is what makes someone remarkable oh goodness <laughs> what makes someone <laughs> remarkable 
is if, in my opinion, if you want to be like them, like you want to attain the same things, not the same things they've achieved or, or done, but be someone who is thinking like that, then I think they're remarkable that you really want to change yourself and be that. Mm, perfect. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. If people want to get in touch, if they want to listen to your podcast or your radio show, how can they find you? Sure. Um, the podcast is available on um, iTunes, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. It's called Musings of Modern Muslims. And even if you just type in Modern Muslims, I think it's the first one that comes up. And also, uh, if they want to reach out to me, my email is m3freeni, which is letter M, the number three, F-R-E-E-N-I at gmail.com. And then on Instagram, I'm there at as m3 freeney as well perfect i'll make sure to link it in the show notes if people want to get in touch thank you again for being on the show and i hope you have a good rest of your evening and stay safe during the coronavirus i know stay safe be good social distancing facetime everyone do virtual meetup <laughs> just don't leave the house unless you need to yes all of the above All right, that's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Remarkable Leap podcast. If you like this, please show your support by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and share this with a friend. It would help so much. Thanks again, and I hope you have a wonderful day.